Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we will hear from Pastor Bill Wilson on Together in Encouragement. Now here is Pastor Bill. Caleb, will you help me remember that I need to use these in an illustration today? Okay. All right. Thank you. I'm going to put them right here, Caleb, so in case I forget, because I'm going to need your help. All right? Thank you. Good morning, everyone, and great to see you this morning as we open God's Word to Ephesians. I'm going to ask you to join me in doing something. Your board has worked through 30 individuals or so with regards to lead pastors of Portland Christian Center, and uh, they have sifted through a lot of names of people who uh, we were interested in, people who were interested in us, and now we're down just to a couple of names, individuals, I shouldn't just say names, but individuals. But we need your help in prayer. This is, very, this is a spiritual moment in the life of the church. So we're calling you to 168 hours of prayer. And what we're asking you to do, listen to me very carefully now, we're asking you to take 15 minutes a day for the next week, that's 168 hours, and we wanna have a round-the-clock prayer time. So for example, I've taken seven o'clock every morning for 15 minutes, I'm gonna pray for Portland Christian Center. I'm gonna do it starting tomorrow all the way through uh, next Sunday. And I'm asking you to join me. So for 15 minutes, you would pray. Let's, let's say you're energetic and you wanna pray at three o'clock in the morning. You might as well, some of you are not sleeping well, so let's do this. And you take every morning at three o'clock in the morning, you pray for 15 minutes for Portland Christian Center through, through uh, the rest of the week. Now, in order for us to make sure that we have 24 hours of prayer for seven days, we are gonna ask you to do something old fashioned, not take your uh, electric device or your, your phone or anything, just simply go into the lobby and there are, are uh, as a table there with signups and put your name on the 15 minute slot that you're gonna pray. Okay, you got that? I need everyone, I need everyone to join us for 15 minutes, take a slot. And if it's your favorite slot and somebody's already taken it, like somebody took my favorite time already, one of the deacons, and I'm not gonna mention his name, but I'll be talking to him afterwards. Uh, that's okay, I'll just move to another spot. And we need people in the middle of the night, we need people in the middle of the day, mornings and evenings, whatever works, we need you to help us. So you're gonna take 15 minutes, you're with me so far? You're gonna sign up and say for the next seven days, I'm gonna pray for 15 minutes for Portland Christian Center, our leadership, we're asking God for wisdom, insight, and uh, confirmation. And that's gonna help us make a huge important decision in the coming days. This is a very important week. And I'm so thrilled that our deacon board has said, Pastor Bill, would you call the church to join us in prayer? So the pastoral team's already done this. The deacons have already signed up. You'll see their names already out there. So go out there and grab a spot, not right now, but at the end of the service before you leave. I also wanted to say, hey, we had a great win last week. The mission summit was a huge success. And already we're well into uh, fulfilling our commitments and our goal for 2022. And so we still have room. If you didn't have a chance to make a faith promise for next year, uh, there's a card in the uh, seat rack in front of you, or you can go to our website and find it there. And why don't you start a journey? Maybe you've never done this before. And take us over the top. 
We have a budget of between 12 to 15,000 a month to support nearly 100 missionaries and efforts, and uh, we're almost there. We had a great, we had brand new people who've never given to missions last week join. I'm very excited about that, but I think, I'm gonna say this out loud, I think Portland Christian Center is a million dollar a year missions giving church. That's what I think. And we're on our way there, but we need your help. Be a part of it, whether it's uh, $10 a month or $100 a month, $1,000 a month, or if you wanna write a big check for 150,000, we, we receive those. We receive those, right? It'll take Rick a few days to count it, but he'll be willing to receive it. And uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not being uh, lighthearted there. There are those who feel compelled in this time to do such things. Ephesians chapter six. You know what's interesting about this message, Pastor Rod? I've never preached on this text before in my life. 49 years, I have never spoken on this text. So let's give it a try. And if you, if you feel like, I just honestly, I shouldn't say if you feel, I feel in my spirit that God's going to change some of your lives today. You will not be the same. He's gonna, he's gonna adjust how you live your life in the text that I read this morning. I wanna ask you, have you ever had a bad day? How many of you on a scale of one to 10 would say, this past week was a big 10 week. It was one of the best weeks of my life. Raise your hand. Anybody? How many, okay, a couple of you, all right. How many of you would say it was like an average week, you know, like a, a, a one to scale to 10, like five? It was a good week. It was nothing spectacular. I didn't win the lottery or anything. I just, it was, I got out of bed and it took nourishment. Okay. How many of you are glad that last week is over? Yes, a few of you, a few of you. No matter what kind of week you had, the reality is, is that uh, God is still on the throne. And if you've had a bad day, I, I read where uh, someone said, you know it's gonna be a bad day when you take a shower only to discover that the water heater went out the night before. You know it's a bad day when you go to cash the IRS refund check only to have it bounce. You know it's a bad day when your doctor tells you you are now allergic to chocolate chip cookies. You know it's a bad day when you fill up the tank of your car with gas at the gas station and it costs more to put gas in it than it did to buy the car. You know it's a bad day when your horn gets stuck on the freeway behind a whole band of hell's angels on motorcycles. You know it's a bad day when your kids come knocking at your door early in the morning and ask if they could borrow some of your clothes because it's nerd day at school. You know it's a bad day. That's why I'm grateful for Sundays because Sundays are a day in which I believe that God can take whatever bad days we've had and turn them into good days. God is in the business of taking the mess ups in our lives and making them marvelous testimonies of his grace and mercy. I am grateful for days like this. We have been in the book of Ephesians and we come to the end of the book today and we called it together because we realized in this season of our lives as a church and in the season of our lives as, as a country and as a community and as a family that we gotta stick together as believers. The Lord's been speaking to us about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel that changes lives. Now I'm gonna give you a quick overview of Ephesians. Uh, hopefully you'll remember this. If you're visual, you can remember this, okay? The first three chapters, if you wanna use one word, would be seated. 
seated. The first three chapters, you are seated, the Bible tells us, with Christ. It's only in Christ that you'll know who you really are. You know now that in our country, in some states, when a baby is born in a hospital, they refuse to determine whether it's a male or female. And they are not on the birth certificate announcing that. There's a lot of confusion about identity in our culture. And for some of us, we're quite disturbed because we feel like we set people out up for failure when we don't understand who we are. But your true identity isn't determined necessarily by a, a piece of paper that said you were born in such and such a place on such and such a day. Your true identity will only be discovered, listen to me, in Jesus Christ. That's the only place you'll ever know who God really intended you to be. We have in this church people who had confusion in their own gender, who came to Christ and for the first time in their life that they can remember, they understand who Christ designed them to be. Now you may not have any problems with your gender, but you may have issues with your uh, identity and in, in, in what you do as a person or how you were to live or you, you grew up in an abusive situation, you don't know how to relate to people, listen. Identity really comes in Christ. In that first three chapters, it says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Chapter 4 through chapter 6, verse 14, has to do with our walk. And the Bible tells us in that section of Scripture, it has to do with our walk, the way we walk. The way we walk. So I was uh, doing a memorial service in a church that my grandfather had pastored years earlier, and this old couple, I, I say that with respect, elderly couple, I say that with respect too, because I'm getting closer. So anyway, this, I'm walking up the aisle after preparation for the memorial. It hadn't started. They came early, and they were sitting on the aisle, and the guy grabbed my coat as I went by, pulled me down, and he said, you're a Wilson, aren't you? And I said, oh, well, yes, I am. How did you know? He said, I could tell by the way you walk. Man, I became self-conscious. I started watching the family and looking at my uncles and my dad and, and everybody related to us, and he was right. We all have a weird walk. I don't know how to explain it any other way. You could tell by the way we walk. We can tell if we're believers by the way we walk. The Bible says in that section that we're to walk worthy of the calling that God has placed on our lives. In other words, the way we conduct ourselves, uh, we're to live out the gospel in our lives. So Ephesians uh, 4 through 6.14 is that section. And finally, the last section of the, the book is stand. So it's seated, walk, and stand. That's, that's the outline. You can go to Bible college now and get an A in the class, all right? Seated, walk, and stand. Because we are to stand against the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil or the temptations of the devil, the challenges that come our way, the criticisms, all of the stuff that can be laid at our feet uh, are going to, we, we have the ability to stand. And the, that portion from uh, the six all the way through the end talks to us about standing in the faith. We said when we started this series, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I'm in for the long haul. How about you? Yep. Amen. Keep preaching it, brother. That's right. Okay. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. 
Tychius, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychius. Now, Tychius' name is in the Bible five times. That's more than Bill is in the Bible, all right? So he must be really special. He is a dear brother in Christ to Paul the Apostle. He is a loyal friend, Tychius. He's a faithful servant. Tychius is a brother who Paul had confidence in to go to both Ephesus and uh, Colossia, where there were two churches that Paul helped establish and minister to them. And in fact, he ministered to Timothy and Titus, the two young pastors that pastored in those communities. And he is the first, as I can see it in Scripture, and if you can prove me different, then that's fine. But in my study, he's the first interim pastor in history. So he and I have a lot in common. He's the first interim. He stepped in and took a portion of time to pastor these people while others were traveling and gone. Tychius, we read about him. He had the sacred assignment to take an encouraging word to the people. He had a purpose, and he had a powerful word. Verse 22, I'm sending him, Tychius, Paul says, I'm, Paul's in Rome in house arrest. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, so you'll know how we're doing, and, and here's the key line, that he may encourage you, that he may encourage you. And then he says, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with all undying love, which is not unusual for Paul to kind of give a conclusion like that, a benediction, if you will, a farewell in the final portion of this letter to Ephesus. This is so very, very important. We hear about Ephesus and Paul's ministry. We know that John, uh, the beloved, the youngest disciple, has a message that he gives from Christ with regard to the church in the book of Revelation as one of the churches of Revelation. And he says to the church in Ephesus, hey, you guys have done so many good things but I have one thing against you. You've lost your first love. That's the church in Ephesus. As I'm reading through this with the filter of remembering the words of John sometime later, you've lost your first love. Wow. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for people like Tychius who come into my life and remind me of who I am in Christ and how I should live. And cheer me on, cheer me on. Because life's not always fair. Even as young parents, life's not always fair. Even as old parents, life is not always fair. (laughs) Life is not always fair. We all need to be encouraged. So back in the day, most of you will remember this, we used to have a phone that hung on the wall in our kitchen. Remember those days? Now, when I was a kid, it had a dial. They put that in front of uh, uh, the Z generation. They don't have a clue how to even use it. But remember the dial, phone, it had come all the way back and all that stuff. 
We thought that was quite the deal when we got a push-button phone. So for years, for decades, we had a push-button phone in the kitchen. We even have an outlet in the house that we live now that has a place where a phone could be placed, but we took it off the wall because too many people called us that wanted to sell us stuff, so we just got rid of it altogether. The phone rang in the kitchen, and I picked it up, and I said, hi, this is Bill. And as soon as the person on the other end of the phone spoke, I knew who it was. One word, Bill. That's all he said. He called me by name. One word, and I knew who it was. It was a friend of mine that I have known for many, many years. And as he began to talk to me, this is what he said. Bill, I'm sick in the head. Something is wrong with me. And as he talked, I am not a psychologist, but I'll tell you what. I am a man of God, and the Spirit of God does reveal stuff to us. And he reveals it to you as well. I perceived my friend who was calling me was depressed, discouraged, and at the very end of his life. I asked him a few questions. And I began to realize that my friend George was at the edge. He didn't know what was wrong with him. He said physically he felt terrible. Mentally he was distraught and depressed. He had been knocked to the ground emotionally. And I recognized in the tone of his voice that he wasn't exaggerating at all. Discouragement is an emotion that comes when it comes knocking at your door, when something hasn't worked out like you had hoped it would work out. When, when you've missed the mark that you set for your goal. So at the beginning of January, you set up these goals. This is what we're going to do. And now here we are in October. And you, what am I going to do that? What happened? How did I get off the rails? A failed relationship with somebody who you deeply loved. They walk out on you. A job is lost. People are facing that now with uh, job losses because of personal decisions they've made. A lingering illness that just keeps going on and on. And one of you here today told me this morning that your, your spouse has had ongoing physical problems for several years and nobody can get to the bottom of it. And it starts to discourage you. We've all been there. Uh, a, a job opportunity fails. You fail in a class. You don't make the team. And uh, then... You're overrun by self-appointed critics. Have you ever had any of those in your life? They can see all the things that are wrong with you, and they can struggle. Paul says, I'm sending a man, a friend of mine by the name of Tychius, and Tychius is going to come, and he is going to come that he may encourage, everybody say encourage, encourage, encourage you. Would you agree that we all need encouragement from time to time? I do. Affirmation, somebody to stand on the sidelines and say, keep going, Bill, I'm with you. We all need to have someone who believes in us and reassures us and is reinforcing us and helps up pick up the pieces of something that didn't go well when we thought we had our plans all in order. Sincere encouragement can be at kind word. It can be just at the right time. It can... It can be that person who kind of moves you to take the next step when you're hesitant. It can be someone who, in the, in the middle of your effort, will come and say, hey, keep it up. 
don't, don't give up now. It can be somebody who, who just has a passing word, a smile. They don't even say anything. They just look at you and smile and you feel encouraged already. They get your coffee order right at the uh, coffee shop and it's not cold when you get it. Sincere encouragement helps a church family. And here's why this is such an important quality in the local church. It's necessary for health in relationships in the local church and encouragement. And at the end of all that Paul has said on theology and belief and behavior and all of those things, he concludes by saying, hey, by the way, I'm sending someone with a quality that you need, and that is to encourage you. Now, by nature, we're, by nature, we're critical, aren't we? By nature, we're critical. We see the things that don't go well. In fact, somebody feels here today that you have the gift of criticism. But I want to tell you, you look in the Bible and it's not there. But the gift of encouragement is. The practice of encouragement is. Now, there is the gift of correction. And I'm not suggesting that criticism and correction are the same. But I want to tell you that what is going to be helping all of us as a church is to not sit around and criticize, but to pray that we can be an encouragement. I am sending him as an envoy of encouragement. His name is unusual, we'll call him Ty, because we're still trying to figure out how to pronounce his first name. And he's gonna come and he's going to encourage you. Biblical encouragement always inspires courage, it increases confidence and it gives hope. It builds you up. When Joy and I first started in the ministry, we, we were, we were uh, high on enthusiasm and, and probably a little lean on knowledge. Joy is a lot smarter than I am, so she was ahead of the game, but I gave her the college class, by the way, because I figured I can't answer any of their questions, and Joy's good at at least asking questions back, so give me the junior high department. I'll, I'll take them on, because I, I can have a good time. And, uh, but I remember that God brought into our lives two incredible couples, Will and Sandy Strong and John and Meredith Beal. Will and Sandy have gone to be with the Lord. John and Meredith live in California. John had just gotten out of the military. He had had a brain injury in Vietnam. And he struggled a little bit with his speech, but he was a dear, dear guy, and Meredith was such a sweet person. And you know what they used to say to us? Hey, you guys are doing a good job. You guys are doing a good job. You get in the car and say, I'm doing a lousy job. They're lying to me. <laughs> no, you're doing a good job. They were encouragers. It's just what I needed in my life and what joy needed. In fact, I found out it's a biblical principle. Romans chapter 15 and verse 5, you can write down, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other. God says, hey, I'm giving you encouragement. You're supposed to do the same thing. That same thing that was in Christ Jesus. God commends us. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 22. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know what we are, who we are, or how we are, I should say, and that we may, or he may encourage you. Some of you remember this a few years back 
In the Special Olympics in Seattle, there were nine contestants lined up at the starting line for the 100-yard or 100-meter dash. At the sound of the gun, they started off and they started running the very best with the shouts of all those who had showed up, including their parents, to cheer them on. And one boy stumbled and fell to the ground. And he began to cry. And as the parents are telling their kids, go, go, several of the kids stopped. And they turned around and saw their friend on the ground. And they went back, turned around, even disobeying their parents who said, go to the finish line. And they went and picked him up. And they walked him down the track across the finish line to the cheers of everybody in the stands. That's an illustration of encouragement. Because every once in a while, I fall down. The Bible says that two are better than one because if somebody falls down, the other person can help them up. I've seen that so many times in life and in the church. You have been a loving, loving church, an encouragement. Even today, you have encouraged me by just being here. You haven't said one thing to me. Some of you haven't. And maybe you're going to sneak out before I get to you. But just seeing you this morning is an encouragement. But most importantly, we're in the presence of God who is the God of encouragement. He says, I'm sending Tychius for this purpose, to encourage you, to encourage you. So how can I be an encourager? In the final moments that I have this morning, how can I be, I wanna give you three words, three words, they all start with P, isn't that surprising? But I, you can write it down. I'm saying them so you'll remember. First of all, pledge to be an encourager. Pledge to be an encourager. Hebrews 10, 12, 25. So you find this word all through the Bible. Just Google it and you'll you know, go to Bible Gateway uh, and just put the word in. And it's going to bring up all these Bible verses. Let us encourage one another. That is a command. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. Let us encourage one another. He said in these final days when you see things going awry, things are tough, you kind of wonder, does, uh, do people know what they're doing? You see the foolishness of the world's thoughts and they're contrary to the wisdom of God. You see the things that are being suggested, taught, initiated, uh, put into laws, and you're thinking, where do I live? Am I living in a communism? Am I living in a socialistic city now, whatever it might be, remember that we are called to encourage one another because we need it. We need it. And so he says, let us stir up deliberately. Let's pledge to be a deliberate encourager, a purposeful encourager. Let's ask God to put in our hearts the spirit of encouragement as believers. Let us be the most encouraging people when I'm walking through Home Depot and nobody seems to know what I'm looking for, neither do I, but I'm walking through and uh, I can be an encouragement to those who work there. Ask God to help me release my self-centeredness and look for ways and opportunities to bless other people because God delights in the church and in the people who are encouragers. Now, I don't stand here 
without some awareness of my flaws in this area. And those defining moments in your life when you realize you fell short of being an encourager and were on the edge of being a critic. So when our daughter Kimberly was in junior high, she followed the family tradition of playing basketball. And because I played in college and played since I was a little kid, I thought I knew everything about basketball and I was going to encourage her, I thought, and coach her to be the best basketball player in eighth grade. I remember going to a game and uh, just down the road at the junior high there in the uh, Tualatin School District. And Kimberly had a lot of, and she still does, a get up and go, but she did not know how to play defense. It was a terrible game. She lost. I remember where I was on Borland Road heading back to our house in Tualatin. And that old white Oldsmobile, it's a dumpy car. I had to put a new transmission in, it cost me lots of money, and she's sitting over there, and we get in the car, and as soon as she got in the car, I began in telling her all the things that she had done wrong. All of them. And I remember she sat silently, and then she began to cry. And this is what she said, and it was a defining moment in my life as a father. And fathers, listen to me carefully, what I'm going to say to you. She said, Dad, I tried my best. Can you not say one good thing that I did tonight? Is all you have done is criticize the way I played basketball tonight. You know what? She was right. And from that moment, I pledged that every time I saw my kids, I'd start out with encouragement. I pledged I would never take her to a game again. I would never walk her down this aisle and give her away to a guy. I would never listen to her preach or speak or sing without complimenting her. I would never complain about the way she raises her rambunctious boys. I would compliment her because I needed to recognize that I had to make a commitment to be an encouragement. And uh, there were days when that was tested, I gotta tell you. Therefore, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up, it says. Talking about our faith and what's ahead. You know, when you read the scriptures and you read them in context, you, we're, we're living in a, the last days of time. Jesus is going to come very, very soon. Some of you would like him to come this afternoon. Some of you want him to come before you have to go to work again. I, I, whatever it might be. You know he's coming, and you recognize the signs of the times. You can see, you can see how things are being set up, and they're subtle. Notice it's subtle, like a thief and that, that's taking over and, and things that are just so contrary to biblical principle. And he says in the midst of all of that, rather than criticize each other in the church, we are to encourage one another. Okay, so the first one was pledge, right? Second word is pray. Pray about who to encourage. Now, there was a, a, a very famous man in the Bible by the name of David, and he went through a very difficult time, and the, Bi the Bible says that, that Jonathan 
was impressed by the Spirit of God to reach out to David and encourage him and to stay strong in the faith. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 23, 16. Jonathan went to David and encouraged him to stay strong in the faith in God. So I want to encourage you not only to pledge to encourage others, but I want you to start praying, God, who can I encourage today? Who can I encourage? We, we are the people of God, and our life needs to be a reflection of encouragement. There are so many people who are discouraged. Two days ago, Joy said to me, we have, we have four female pastors in Oregon in our almost 200 churches. And Joy has done a brilliant job. I'm encouraging you, Joy. So Joy did a brilliant job, has done a brilliant job in reaching out to these young men, most single, not all of them, but single women who pastor churches. And uh, she said to me on Friday, I just feel like I need to contact Carolyn, one of our pastors. So she sent her a text. And um, Carolyn called yesterday and said, oh, Joy, you don't know what that text meant to me. I'm, the reason I'm using the illustration, because you, you relate to it, not to elevate any of us, but I'm just saying that God, when you pray, God gives you words for people, encouraging words. And so she said, there's a lady in our church, she, I've been taking care of her, and she's at the end of life, and I'm so distraught about it. I'm so disappointed. I, I'm just hurt that she, her life is going like that. Now, this is a pastor. You say, well, pastors are supposed to be able to say, well, she's going right into the hands of, of the Lord in heaven. But I tell you, death sometimes stings harder than we want it to sting. And in that time of prayer, Joy felt compelled to get a hold of Carolyn. And it, she said, that was just what I needed. I want to be one of those people who hear from God and call at the right time, right? I, I want to be able to pick up my phone and text. You know how to text? Anybody know how to text here? You, you can text a note and just say, hey, thinking of you today. I got one this morning from my friend Don Ross and Northwest Network who does what I do. He just said, I'm praying for you today, Bill. I'm praying for you today. I wrote him back and said, bless you, Don. I appreciate your friendship. It means the world to me. So you've got to pray that God will help you know who to encourage. You don't have to walk through uh, Fred Meyer and try to stop everybody and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a child of God and I just want to give you a word today. You don't need to, but if you pray, God will bring the right people into your mind. That's what my children think I do, but I really don't. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Paul writing again about encouragement. Finally, so you pledge, you pray, and now you practice. You practice being an encourager. Hebrews 3.13. It says, but encourage one another daily. <laughs> this again is not a suggestion. This is a command from the Lord that we are to operate in encouragement. And as we come to the end of this wonderful adventure through Ephesians, on together, one of the elements that will make your family better, your business better, your life better, is encouragement. Practice encouragement. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Barnabas. 
The son, they called him the son of encouragement. They saw him coming. Oh, they're going to get an encouraging word. Encouraging word. Now you say, well, Pastor Bill, how about when you have to bring correction or change or how to discipline someone, those things can happen. Caleb, come on up here, will you? Please. Caleb's 10 years old. He runs the house. He's a wonderful kid. These are Oreo cookies, right? Okay, I'm going, to tell, I'm going to teach you something never to forget, all right? You're going to be in situations, so I'm going to give you these if you get the right answer. Okay? So when you have to correct somebody or they've made a mistake and you have to bring it to their attention, here's the practice. I want you to practice this. Compliment, correction, compliment, okay? Like Oreo cookies. So you got three parts of the Oreo cookie. Do you like Oreo cookies? Because if you don't, uh, Pastor Rick has already asked if he could have them. So you like them. So when you see an Oreo cookie, remember, compliment, correction, if there needs to be correction, and then you compliment. So I say, hey, you sure look fantastic today. But I want to tell you something. I need you to smile a little bit more, okay? You are the finest young man that I have met all day that's 10 years old. Now you say, well, pastor, do you say that to everybody? No, because you're the only 10-year-old I've spoken to all day, so all right? But here's a practice. You could do this in your business. Listen, it, when you're doing uh, reviews of anybody or you're working with somebody, and some people you work with are hard to work with, let's be honest, right? Some people you live with, you don't have to look at them, are hard to live with at times, right? If we can practice compliments before we criticize, before we correct, and end with a compliment, I'm going to tell you, you're going to make a huge difference. You're a huge, Paul did this. Paul did this in the Bible. He started out and said, you guys are the greatest people. You've got all these gifts. And then he goes on and said, but I have one thing against you. Jesus did that to the church at Ephesus. He said, I want to compliment you for all the things that you have done. But he said, I have one thing that needs to be corrected, your love for me. And then he said, if you will listen to what the Spirit is saying and do it, you'll be blessed. So, when you think of Oreo cookies, what do you think of? Compliment, correction, compliment. I think you are. Now, if Caleb can remember that, I'm expecting all of you to remember it too. In fact, I want you to take out your cell phone right now, okay? If you have a cell phone, you gotta take it out. I want you to bring up somebody's name. And just say, I wanna encourage you to stay the course. That's all you have to say. I wanna encourage you to stay the course. If you wanna get into a long conversation with them later, please do, but not right now. And I wanna say, uh, Pastor Matt leads the uh, team every week. One of the things that when I got here, I was really impressed with, he has the team take cards and just handwrite a note to somebody in the church and just say thank you. And I've had people stop and say to me, I got that card and it meant the world to me. Compliment, that means we gotta practice encouragement. And if there's correction or change, 
I did need to help Kimberly out in playing basketball. I got to help her. She was doing a lot of wrong things. But what I made a mistake in is starting out with all the complaints and the criticism and not to tell her, hey, I'm so proud that you're my daughter. I'm so proud that you're on the floor. I'm proud that you go to practices. I'm proud you're doing better in this and that. Here's a couple of suggestions that are going to help you on defense. And by the way, I'm going to keep taking you to games and I'm going to keep cheering you on. And I want you to know whether you win or lose, I love you. See the difference? I had to learn that from my 13-year-old daughter. She was a teenage daughter. Have you ever had a teenage daughter? I had two. So if you've never had one, you have not had the experience of a lifetime. If you had one, you know that those are critical and sensitive moments. It's not time to push people away. It's time to pull them in. And this church, everybody who walks through the door, I want to tell you, we've had a lot of discouragement. We have a lot of discouragement. We need encouragement. So I think I better finish because the time has gone. But I will tell you about George. I said to George, and Joy and I were talking, and he's on the phone. And we both love George. I said, George, you got to come to our house. He said, what? I said, George, you've got to come to our house. Get an airplane ticket. If you can't afford it, we'll pay. Come to our house. And so he flew five hours to our house. He came and stayed with us for two weeks. I want to tell you, it wasn't Bill and Joy Wilson, although we did that part. I brought him to church here. He sat on the front row. People in this church came up and introduced themselves to George. Some of you in this service went out and played golf with George, and God healed him because of the encouragement of Portland Christian Center. George was my best man in my wedding. He also served as a leader in his region as a minister. And just recently we saw George. We were trying to reenact the uh, putting the boutonniere on my lapel. There's my friend George who called and said, I'm sick in the head, something's wrong with me and I'm discouraged and depressed. I need help, Bill. Encouragement can change the course of someone's life. And I wanna encourage you to know that God loves you. And the Bible says, he sent Tychius to encourage us. I've never preached on that subject or that topic before. I've never even mentioned his name publicly before. And now here we are at the end of Ephesians together. So Father, we open our hearts to you today. Help us to be encouragers. Help us to text friends, talk to people, encourage them, give them a smile. And Lord, help us to be a church that is known for its encouragement. With your head bowed and perhaps you're watching online this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, you can pray this simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Turn my dark life into a light life of joy and peace. I give you my burdens and I pray you'll lead and guide me. If you pray that prayer in Jesus' name, you're born again. We welcome you to Portland Christian Center. We're here to help you. If you've come in this morning, there'll be folks down in the front. We have materials we can give you, and you can let us know of your visit. You can go online and let us know. We'll follow up. We're just excited about what the next adventure is gonna be. Don't miss next Sunday. Don't miss next Sunday. Something special will happen next Sunday. I, don't, I can't tell you any more about it. I just don't miss next Sunday. And make sure you join us in this 168 hours of prayer nonstop from 12 midnight tonight all the way through next Saturday night. 
I want you to be a part of it. Let's stand together. I think we had a song planned, but I think because of time, I'm going to just bless you. Is that okay? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you and give you peace in your coming and going. May you know when you walk through those doors, He goes with you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us for our live streams at the 9 or 11 a.m. at live.pcctoday.com.